This is the Movie Hall of Fame class of Spike Lee for Thursday, June 11th, 2020. That's right. What's up, Adam? What's up? Tenured Professor Spike Lee. That's right. That's right, yeah. Teaches movies and stuff. Smart guy, apparently. Um, I mean, yeah. I, yeah, I guess. I, I would love to be in Spike Lee's film class at NYU. You ever listen to him talk about movies, though? Yes. It's actually quite boring. Um, yeah, most great directors are like that, though. No. I, I, no, I disagree. Really? Yeah, I completely disagree. Okay. <laughs> I could listen to Fincher or uh, Carpenter talk about movies all day. Could you all, listen to Marty all, talk about movies all yeah, day? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah? I think they're fascinating to listen to. Yeah. Could you listen to Woody Allen talk about movies all yes. day? Yes. Yes, and I have. <laughs> See, I have too, but I always find... I, I don't know. I, I, I tend to find that great artists, maybe more so in music than in movies, mm. have a hard time describing what makes their art great. They're not. It's not necessarily what makes their art, own art great. I like I like it when directors talk about, I don't know, maybe some of their influences or some or other films in general. Like listening to the Coen brothers talk about Inside Lewin Davis with Guillermo del Toro is just fascinating. Yeah, I, I keep meaning to get around to that uh video i always see it on youtube it always pops up on my recommended and oh, i never do it it's wonderful yeah. it's, it's one of my favorite interviews but there's the thing though like i've heard the cohen's talk about other people's films and i find them to be pretty boring really yeah oh that's so strange yeah i just yeah i was gonna say i just i don't yeah i i i don't see that i don't much care for listening to like spielberg talk about movies definitely not yeah that's not always the most interesting thing uh kubrick is interesting in a sense not necessarily because of his filmmaking because he doesn't know how to talk about his own filmmaking uh-huh. um but yeah spike lee's similar it's like there's not a lot of interesting insights it's just like i like this movie by this guy right and i like this movie by this guy and this person meant a lot to me growing up well spike has always been the type of guy that directs by feel yeah um, more so than like you know a kubrick who meticulously storyboards every single shot Mm-hmm. Um, I just found out recently while doing this research that the do the right thing, uh, pizza place, uh, set piece, the burning down the pizza joint. Yeah. That was the only sequence in his entire filmography that he storyboarded. Really? There's not a single other montage. And I, I think that's kind of interesting because I think of him as a very visual filmmaker, more so a visual filmmaker than a, than a written filmmaker. He's kind of a split for me. Yeah, you know, it's like maybe some of his earlier films are a little more visually striking, but I don't know. Certainly later on, like uh, like with Inside Man and Twenty Fifth Hour, I don't remember them specifically for visuals. They're not nearly as they don't pop the same way that like Do the Right Thing or even Clockers does. Right. So point being, though, he might be one of those guys that has a hard time articulating exactly what he's feeling and his medium of choice is film. And that's sort of the best way that he can communicate a lot of these ideas. Yeah. You know, it's funny when you hear about the guys that do have trouble with that. Like I was it, but, but like George Miller's a funny example where a lot of people who were involved with him in making Mad Max were, had a lot of trouble trying to understand exactly what he was getting at mm. because, you know, obviously that vision is so, I don't know, outrageous. Yes. Um, no, everyone on set was confused. Yeah. Cause they did. <laughs> Cause there was no script for Fury Roads. They're like, why are we playing a guitar with a flamethrower <laughs> at the end of it? What is going on? It's like, just go with it. It'll work. Uh, and, but then when he like sits down in interviews and talks about his movies, it's actually quite enjoyable, but he has a lot of joy for, for, for that kind of stuff though. Right. I like the filmmakers that have sort of like a whimsical attitude. 
Yes. I don't like listening to Wes Anderson talk about movies, so there you yes, go. Certainly. And I really hate Nicholas Winding Refn talking about movies. No shit. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like listening to Tarantino talk about movies? No. Actually, I don't. No? No, he's, he gets too blowhard. His own movies or other people's movies? Both. Okay, see, I, I agree with you halfway. I think when he talks about his own movies, it's reprehensible. Yeah. But when he talks about other people's movies, he approaches it as like a fan and yeah. you like feel him at the age of 12. Just <laughs> his 12 year old self is bursting out like the yeah. first time he watched Rio Bravo. <laughs> and he can tell you all about watching it on that four by three aspect mm-hmm. ratio on his yeah. on his childhood television set. I, I'm much f- more I'm much fonder of that version of Tarantino than I am the one that loves his own movies. Yes. Of, but but even then it's just like Ugh, God this guy is like you know this guy just lived in his basement for 25 years. Yes. Essentially you know. I find that charming. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. Uh, so the reason we're doing Spike Lee I guess was initially because he has a new movie coming out called The Five Bloods which is coming to Netflix this Friday. Um, which we've both heard pretty good things about. Yep. We will have seen that movie by next week and we'll talk about it. Um, but also like the world has been talking about Spike Lee the last few days, specifically the movies of Spike Lee, because, uh, I don't know if you notice, but race is a pretty big issue in the country these days. And, uh, there could not be a more apt filmmaker to talk about. So this sort of worked (laughs) out well as a happy accident. We couldn't have talked Tyler Perry. No. Why not Nico? Um, you know what? You make a good point. Why not? What's preventing us? Class of Medea coming next week. What's the exa- Yeah, there you go. What's preventing us from doing Class of Medea next week? Let's do it. Yeah. Although I would argue Tyler Perry culturally is just as as relevant to filmmaker as Spike Lee. Maybe not filmically. Sure. I mean, in terms of an image, I suppose. Yeah, there's a similar level of iconography with Tyler Perry, unfortunately. Right. But um, yeah, <laughs> pretty obviously why we didn't want to talk about Tyler Perry. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I look, some of his movies are okay. Uh, most of them are not great, but they all make money. He's actually one of the most profitable directors. Yeah, yeah in the world but he's he makes money off of like like cheap means is the problem yes you know, he's not exactly it's like the fairly brothers yeah ex- it's not exactly someone you want to like i don't know stand by in terms of like the 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 icon of a certain demographic of cinema spike yes. lee fits that bill like pretty perfectly he is the black director in many yeah. ways oh yeah and there are a lot of great ones but he is sort of the black director and one of the reasons why is because his movies are very much about blackness they're mm-hmm. all about blackness I guess, except for one on this list, um, all four of them are very much about black culture, black music, um, the you know race relations, police brutality. Some of these movies feel like documentaries now, even though they came out 30 years later. It's like, wh- wow. Well, they were talking about that a lot recently and how relevant his movies still are and how we will always kind of have a need for Spike Lee, which, you know, it's it's good. It's always nice to see a filmmaker like this, you know, continue making work. But the reasons behind that are sort of like sad and tragic in a lot of weird ways. What do you mean? Like a lot of people are saying like, we'll always need Spike Lee to kind of reflect the, the sort of tragedies of our country. Yes. <laughs> in the back, not the, it, it'd be nice to see Spike Lee make a movie that didn't involve that. You know, he rarely does, but he's capable though. Yeah, I agree. There's, I'm not convinced there's one on this list. Even that doesn't reflect that. That doesn't deal with race. Uh, 
No, I, I mean, in a way, it certainly deals with some uh, uh, societal issues. All, almost all of them have uh, topics of police brutality. Yeah. So, yeah, they, they're always going for some greater cultural themes, you know. Even Inside Man is, is hinting at that stuff. I think there's only one in this list that is about something much broader yes. than that, you know. Yeah, Um the dude is a political filmmaker. That's what he does, right? That's, yeah. that's who he is. Oliver Stone is a political filmmaker. He's, he is the white. <laughs> Spikely, yes. yeah, as I like yeah. to say. <laughs> I, I compare them all the time. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah, I like both of them for, for their own reasons and for their convictions. And similarly, they both have a lot of duds. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's the thing, too, about Spike. He's really prolific. Yes. And we sort of forget about that. Like the, the movie Chirac came out a few <laughs> years ago. No one even talked about Chirac. It's crazy. Yeah. Then there was uh, the sweet blood of Christ about yeah. vampire, whatever that I don't even remember what that Could was. Could you imagine <laughs> if Quentin Tarantino put out a movie like the sweet blood of Jesus and no one talked about it, you know, <laughs> it's nuts, but you're right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's weird with someone who is as iconic as Spike Lee that he can just put out stuff the same way that Woody Allen does. Right. Well, he is also similar to Woody Allen and similar to Tarantino. He's almost a bigger celebrity than he is director. Yeah, oddly. I kept seeing him pop up in those those commercials, too. Yes. Like where he's chilling with uh, 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 Sam Jackson yes. and Charles Barkley. Yes. And it's like, oh. <laughs> like, I, I wonder if anybody watching this recognizes that that's Spike Lee. But right. I, and, you know, I guess there is a significant demographic who would. Otherwise, they wouldn't have put him in the commercial. Always been a big part of commercials. Directed all of those old Michael Jordan commercials. So he was forever a part of NBA culture because of that. Did he ever do a Michael Jackson music video? Did Oh, I'm to think. Not sure he did a music video, but he did two Michael Jackson documentaries. Okay, he did Bad and Off the Wall, That's the 25th right. anniversary. Okay, of both of those, um, and also like he's the most high-profile NBA fan, with the exception of Jack Nicholson, I guess. He's at the he's at court side of every Laker game. That's true. You know, so he's almost yeah. Uh, he's a celebrity director, and that for the most part, hurts you, I, I would say. I mean, I don't know. I think Quentin Tarantino has been hurt by the fact that his celebrity is so high. The fact that he cast himself early in a lot of his movies. Woody Allen the same way. It's like you forget Woody Allen, the director. You think of Woody Allen, the actor and the star first. I don't know. You think you think of Spike Lee as the actor? No, not necessarily actor, but as the celebrity. Yeah. I suppose in a way. I mean, me personally, I've always thought of him as the director, but yeah. I don't know what the general populace thinks. That's a good question. Yeah. You know, I understand that. Um, that being said, I think one of the most important filmmakers of all time. Actually, to use the word important is sort of selling him short, don't you think? Yeah. I mean, we'll get into it. I'm not like, Spike Lee's not one of my favorite filmmakers, but it'd be a, a sin to deny his level of importance. Yeah. You can't really sell that short. Yeah. I, I just think when you say important, it like implies a certain, um, uh, like, I don't know. That's the type of thing you say to somebody that's not that great, but you want to still celebrate them. You know what I mean? I just mean, say important. It's like, yeah, he, he's not great, but he's important. <laughs> he's impactful. That's certainly Yeah, but true. he's also great, though. Yeah. He yeah. also makes great movies. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. He, he's... Yeah, <laughs> he's not one I would bet on. It's like betting on him is like betting on the Steelers. You know, it's just not, it's not a great idea. Yeah. But, you know, every once in a while, holy shit, that was right. That was a good game. That was a good movie. You yes. Know? Lots of highs, lots of lows. Yes, certainly. Right. And you know what? Filmmakers like that are very, very interesting to me. 
it's like he's not like he's not the most inconsistent director i would say that honor goes to ridley scott <laughs> but uh spike lee has never made anything nearly as bad as the counselor I can't believe I'm saying that, but it's so true. There's nothing even close. It, it pains me to say that, but it's absolutely true. Yeah. <laughs> Way to go, Spike. Right. Uh, yeah, but you're still interested. I mean, that's the key, right? Yeah. 30 years later, I'm still interested. Defy Bloods is a relevant movie that is going to get a lot of eyeballs on Netflix, and we're going to be talking about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of Black Klansman. We talked about that when Black Klansman came out. I don't hate Black Klansman at all. I don't think it's a bad movie. It's just, I th- I thought it was a lot weaker than people were addressing. Yes. You know? Yeah. But still, like, it's in the conversation. It's in the yeah, zeitgeist. Sure. So, and that's really, really hard 30 years into your career. Mm-hmm. Um, just ask Josh Trank. <laughs> <laughs> Jabril was telling me about an, an interview he did where he just talks shit about Max Landis or something. Uh-huh. And then he eventually reveals how much of a douche he is. Right. You know, so I don't know. Max I, I Landis, sh- not a great guy. No. Neither is Josh Trank, though. So, yeah. <laughs> um, seen anything recently? Oh, boy. I mean, I saw a few Carpenter films. Um, I saw that alien documentary, Memory which I talked about on uh, why is this a thing, uh-huh. which is pretty good. Um, I saw, um, um, geez, uh, uh, the pawnbroker. Yes. And lament. Yeah. And it's like the, the best performance by an actor I've ever seen in my life. Rod Steiger. Oh my God. Wow. Holy shit. Wow. <laughs> he is unbelievable. Like one of the most remarkable things I've ever seen. Really? Seriously. Like, like that was the movie for me. You know, it's an interesting film cinematically and there's a lot of great visual illusions to what the film is all about. It's just a really, really just a, like wretched character study. You know, just someone who's completely wrought and to see him just kind of stumble about drunkenly through New York, even though he's, you know, obviously totally sober. It's just him dealing with total pain and suffering and loss just the most broken human being you've ever seen and almost broad steiger is just heartbreaking i mean oof. so that was in 1966 he was nominated for best actor that year yeah um and let's see wait 1960 i didn't realize how important that film was too in terms of like breaking like mpaa codes Okay. It's actually quite significant in that way. It's the first film to ever talk about the Was the MPAA a thing yet? It was was the Hayes Code, right? Yeah, the Hayes, you know, same thing, essentially. But um, it's uh, also, uh, I believe, the first film to really address the issues of the Holocaust, too. So, and, you know, one of the films that helped inspire um, Schindler's List, too. So, Um, okay. So, 19. When this movie came out, 1960. Oh, four. I'm sorry. I'm looking. Okay. they, they, They labeled this wrong. So 1964, uh, your nominees for Best Actor were, uh, let's see, Uh, was this Strange Love's year? Peter Sellers? Maybe. He didn't win for Strange Love, though. No, he did not win. I can't find it now. Uh, This (laughs) is labeled wrong. Could be the Oscars of 1965, though, because I think it did come out in 64. No, I'm looking at the year 1965. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry to bring this to a screeching halt. Sorry. Steiger ended up winning, though, in 67 yeah. for In the Heat of the Night. Um, but you're saying he's better in this than In the Heat of the Night? I don't think it's even close. Oh, here we go. Okay, yeah. Your nominees, uh, Richard Burton in The Spy Who Came In from the Cold, Lawrence Olivier in Othello, 
Steiger and the pawnbroker, Oscar Werner and Ships of Fools, and Lee Marvin wins for Cat Baloo. Lee Marvin wins. Okay. Wow. Okay. I saw that movie because uh, uh, Moffat told us to watch it. Really? Yeah. That's was like it, his favorite Western. Was it good? It's all right. All right. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Cat Baloo. Cat Baloo. Oh, Cap. Cat Baloo. Shit. Yeah, that's Jane right. Fonda. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I never saw that, actually. I saw, like, the very beginning where she's, like, on the train and, and stuff. Jane Fonda didn't win, but Lee Marvin did. <laughs> didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. There you go. I gotta watch The Pawnbroker. I love LeMay. Oh, it's so good. Uh, I watched a movie called The Vast of Night. Mm-hmm. It's on Amazon. Everyone's been talking about it, so I won't, like, hype it up too much because I know, like... Especially you, you're very sensitive about high expectations. I can't stand it. Yeah, uh, you know it's uh, it costs six hundred thousand dollars. It's a science fiction mystery set in the 1950s. It plays like an episode of the X Files or not the, uh, the Twilight, Twilight, Twilight Zone. Zone. Um, so you've seen it before many times before. You saw it in a movie called Super Eight, directed by J.J. Abrams. <laughs> although that movie was much worse than this one. Um. Yeah, I don't know like how they made this movie for six hundred thousand dollars. I just can't see the money on the screen. I don't, I don't understand it. Like, I don't understand how they got ninety percent of these shots. Wow, it's insane. It's like you want to talk about tracking shots. Move over Scorsese. Move over Sam Mendes. <laughs> this dude is here, and this guy is thirty-eight years old. Uh, let me get his name for you because he is like the next dude. I'm fairly certain his name is Andrew Patterson. He lived in Oklahoma City for like the last 20 years, and he opened up a production company, made local commercials and promotion videos for the Oklahoma City Thunder. Oh. That's what he's been doing for 20 years, just fucking around. And uh, he decides to take that money and invest it into himself, essentially. And he had faith that he could make his own feature. And uh, God damn it, he did wow. make his own feature. Pretty remarkable. Didn't get picked up by any uh, major festival except for Slamdance. Slamdance ends up picking it up and it gets rave reviews there, wins the audience award, Amazon buys it. And for the last month, it's been playing in drive-in theaters because, of course, all the movies have been closed. It so they, they sort of capitalized on that old school retro sensibility. Um, and yeah, I think it's going to be one of those miracles of a movie, the little movie that could <laughs> $600,000. It's an awesome script. Okay. It's really well made. Again, like the cinematography here is incredible. I think we have a new guy. I think we have a guy. Oh boy. Yeah. It's <laughs> a statement. I'm serious. I think we have a guy. Last time I heard that was about Jordan Peele and I was not impressed. Okay. <laughs> Someone is going to give this guy a lot of money to make something for a lot more than $600,000. Okay. That's all I'm saying. Okay. 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 Marvel is going to call. I, I guarantee you. Oh, Marvel's great. Gonna Marvel's going to call. You remember, you remember that guy, Ryan Coogler, who we had such high hopes for? Yes. You remember that guy? I do. Yeah. 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 I do. Mm-hmm. Black Panther 2 coming to a theater near you. Fucking hell. <laughs> Space Jam 2, which I guess he's just writing now and producing. But okay. Should not be involved with that. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Um. Anyway, let's talk Spike. Yes. <laughs> let's go Spike. 25 theatrical films released by Mr. Spike Lee. They range all genres, comedy, drama, musical, documentary. I have some honorable mentions for you. School Days, I've never seen, but it's one of his earlier titles. I hear it's not bad. Uh, Malcolm X is not on this list. Yeah. 
<laughs> you regret that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> I do too. Yeah. I do too. I think it should be here. Yes. I think that movie is too long. I think it's a tad indulgent. I don't care. <laughs> it's it's better than uh, maybe two films on this. Certainly one, maybe two. I don't know. It's an important movie. Yeah. It should be here. Yeah. We apologize to Malcolm X and Jabril, who was all on my ass this week. Does he love that movie? Yeah. That's I, his favorite Spike movie. Really? I mean, I really like it, too. I, I, I agree with you. As well, but yeah, I mean, looking back at this list now, especially, it's like, where the hell is Malcolm X? Yeah, <laughs> so apologies. Uh, some good ones there, right in the middle of his run. He got game. The uh, the Ray Allen basketball movie, really good, good performance by Ray Allen, actually. Uh, Summer of Sam, you ever seen? I've seen like the first thirty minutes. I'm not a big fan of it. Oh, it's, I feel like that's right up your alley. Yeah, it's kind of. I just know what I don't know what that movie is. <laughs> I should I mean, granted, I haven't seen the whole thing, so I'm not really giving it a fair shot. But okay. I just found it just odd. It was an odd approach to the to the subject matter. Right. I'll say that. Yeah. You want every serial killer movie to be Zodiac. Well, I get it. No, I mean, well, Zodiac. I mean, this one's much it was much more violent. Yes. And, you know, I don't you know, I, one of the reasons I like Zodiac is because it's a little more methodical and procedural. Right. You know. And yeah, much more, much better tension building in that movie than, you know, whatever they were doing in Son of Sam. I mean, I, I hate talking about movies that I haven't seen all of. So it's like, <laughs> if it was just weird, I'll say that. Mm. Uh, Bamboozled is a movie that is not for everyone, but it is a movie for me. Okay. I haven't seen it. <laughs> I think you'll hate it. Oh, really? I'm fairly certain you'll hate it. How do you know I'm going to see it? <laughs> I, I, I don't, but it's, it's heavy satire, heavy, heavy satire. I mean, I like Starship Troopers, so. Not the same. <laughs> I'm just saying. However, Michael Rappaport is off the chain in that movie. He's crazy. All right. Um, you never saw Old Boy, did you? No. I love the original, of course. Yeah. Uh, I have no idea. I I don't know. The, 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 a remake of Old Boy doesn't make any sense to me. So apparently yeah. it's terrible. Uh, two documentaries uh, that we didn't really consider. Four Little Girls um, is one that has uh, garnered high critical acclaim in the original Kings of Comedy, which I've seen. It's got all those great black comics. Concert movie, actually, if you want to put it that way. Concert movie? I mean, stand-up comedy is a concert. Is it? Sure. I don't agree with that. All right. Uh, National Film Registry, four movies. Four movies by Spike Lee are in the National Film Registry. Okay. Guess. Inside Man, Inside Man, no. Inside Man, and Inside Man. All, all incorrect. Really? Yeah. I don't know then. <laughs> Come on, give it a shot. <laughs> Do the right thing. Yes. Malcolm X. Yes. She's got to have it. Yes. Uh, <sighs> Boy, what's the last one? I have. You're Ooh. not going to get it. It's Four Little Girls. Is it? Okay. It's the documentary. Yeah. All right. Uh, your five nominees class of spike lee she's gotta have it do the right thing clockers 25th hour and inside man okay start with 1986's she's gotta have it starring tracy camilla johns tommy redmond hick john canada terrell and spike lee <laughs> story of a woman and her three lovers uh so i watched this one for the first time it's on netflix you can stream <laughs> it and uh i'm just sitting there and i'm like 
God, Adam's going to hate this. <laughs> and you know, that's not always a great sign, but like sometimes I watch a movie and it, I, I, you are just in my head. You're seared in my head. <laughs> you gotta brain. like stop that. that Cause I think that's seriously affecting your viewing. Habits. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just watching you watch the movie and you're really not enjoying it. And it's kind of killing my buzz. You're kind of harsh in my mellow. That's all I'm saying. Oh, can you blame me? You didn't you, like the movie. Can you Let blame me, me for, for not liking this stupid movie? Stop it. <laughs> what the fuck was this thing? Stop it. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's got to have it. Yeah. Uh, it's not a bad movie. I'll be nice to it for, for a, about five seconds. Okay. It's not a bad movie. You know, it, it's, it's, I guess, proficient enough for, you know, a student film, you know? I don't think it's a student film. I think this was a professional production that's surprising although very independent yeah. yeah yeah uh yeah what the hell was this <laughs> uh it was a movie about a woman and her three lovers i think uh that goes nowhere that's great it goes absolutely fucking nowhere explain what you mean explain what you mean <laughs> what was i supposed to take away from this movie <sighs> uh, i mean i don't know uh that love is complicated adam the love is complicated <laughs> Maybe. Oh, great. I didn't know that. <laughs> Maybe that's a theme. I'm just spitballing here. <laughs> Thanks, Spike. I was only with JB for got a couple days. Whatever it was. I'm a, one, I'm a more than one man woman. Bye, yes. audience. Okay. It's, no, it's not that, though. It's more than that. It's more than that. It's about the types of men that women are attracted to okay, here's at the, different points of their love life. What? Absolutely. It's like... It's one point. It's attracted to all men at one point. I mean, I don't know. Is that, it's like one dude is like the educated black man who like criticizes other black men for their vocabulary, and one is just a total goofball that is in between jobs and that's living on his buddy's couch and i'm not sure that's where it lands <laughs> no but th- that's it, what it is though it, right it like it's made, a, it's it would have made more sense had she made a choice which is not but she, she did make a choice did she yeah oh i didn't get that impression at all she did she chose the, the third dude no she didn't <laughs> she chose him and then she's like yeah that didn't work i'm gone <sighs> i don't know what this movie's talking about i'd like to point out yeah um uh yeah this is um hmm Man, I, kids that I went to school with made better movies than this. That's ridiculous. And it's absolutely true. That's ridiculous. I worked on movies that ended up being better than this. Stop it. Like, like what? <laughs> I mean, yeesh. Stop it. Uh, the filmmaking is, uh, it's, it's like ripping off Godard half the time, especially with its editing and a lot of the, the tracking shots in the city and the use of music. Um, mm-hmm. Even the story feels very French New Wave. Um, I'd also like to add the acting in this movie. Whoo. Amateurish? Uh, yeah, it's quite bad. I'll give you that. It's, it's like not good in that. I, I mean, it's like... Not- Are you bothered by that usually? If it's universally bad? I <laughs> See, I'm not bothered by it in a movie like this. Oh, I in a movie like this, which is clearly all script and all style, I'm really not bothered by bad acting. Bad acting can get me if like the movie is about acting, but this movie definitely isn't about acting. Are you sure? Yeah, sure. Oh, boy. Sure, I am certainly. Well, you can do a movie that's about like a lot of style. Like I, I, I cite, um, who's that knocking at my door? Right. And the acting in that can be great. Sure. And it is quite great. 
And that's a movie that has tremendous style and a lot of ways reminds me of this. But this feels, you know, the other issue is that this feels like every film I've seen from someone who went to film school. Yeah. I can't tell you how many movies like this. It's a first movie. Yes. No, but it's not just the fact that it's a first movie. I just mean like the subject matter to just people talking about their problems head on into the camera. Yeah. And it's always like sexual frustrations. Okay. Now, here's what I will say about that, though. The reason why all student films look like that is because Spike Lee invented that style. Are you sure? <laughs> Abso-fucking-lutely. Do the right thing. The fact that that scene where they're all yelling racial epithets directly yeah. into the camera influenced the next 30 years of independent filmmaking. That's a bold... Abso-fucking-lutely. The- Wes Anderson does that because Spike Lee did it. Are you sure? Entirely. Eh. I'm 100% positive it's about a, that. It's a bit of a stretch. This is the genesis of talking right into the camera, of just narrating right... Absolutely. I think there was no there was no fourth wall breaking in this style. I think before Spike Lee. I think that's a bit of a stretch. Okay. I don't know. I just okay. I just don't. Fine. I just don't. I don't know. Like, where's the evidence for that? I'm not. I'm not even sure it's the first time they were ever breaking the fourth wall like that. Independent cinema, the, the sort of the sort of like you're going to square the shot, and the subject mm-hmm. is going to be right in the center of the frame, and he's going to be looking into you like he's staring right into your yeah. soul through the screen. Is a Spike Lee move. I'm not saying it didn't happen before Spike Lee. I'm saying Spike Lee popularized that shit, dude. Mm-hmm. And Wes Anderson has been doing it for the last thirty years. Every movie is directly influenced by Spike Lee. Oh, style. No, none of it feels like Spike Lee at all. Is the thing, and I, certainly those films that I saw come out of films, not film school, but just the film classes that I took, aren't anything like this you know but they do they do write similarly is what i'll say mm-hmm. and naturally they're gonna like have someone talk to the camera but it doesn't feel the same it just feels like an amateur attempt you know at, at, at not i mean i guess in a way they're going for the same thing they're not necessarily realizing that they're doing it but again it's just i don't know maybe that's just something that comes of people this age i've just seen so many movies like this and subject matter wise or style both Okay. Yeah, and some of which I've seen done better. <laughs> yeah. No, I'll give you that. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I'll give you that. I mean, it's also crazy to me how Woody Allen this movie feels. Yeah, um, I, I don't know if I'm. I'm quite there with you. You don't think so? No. Yeah. Just I, in like the sort of meandering New York love life. No, it feels more French New Wave to me. A lot more stylistically, but subject matter. No, even sub. That's kind of what I'm getting at. Really? I don't, I don't think Woody would have made a movie quite like this. Yeah. I mean, Woody's <laughs> Woody's films are. I don't know a little even more like individual and they're not necessarily as frenetic with the editing. Mm -hmm. You know, this movie, you know, moves with, with a bit of like a musical rhythm, which is kind of nice. And sometimes it works. And other times for me, it really doesn't. Did it work for you in that middle scene with the color? Uh, not really. No, no. Okay. Yeah. Did that bother you? Did it take you out of the movie? Yeah, kind (laughs) of. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think this was very good. I, I thought it was kind of like like whatever, mediocre at best. It, it's an amateurish movie. Yeah. It's the first movie in his career. Um, I am able to watch it as such. <laughs> That's all. Yeah. I'm able to watch it as such, and I found it actually quite charming and quite informative. And again, when you see a lot of those moves that he implements to greater success later on, mm. I find that kind of rewarding. I think it's cool. Um, it's the same feeling I get watching Mean Streets, right? And you hear the Rolling Stones soundtrack and you see all of the the pans through the bar and the lighting. It's like, oh, he's going to make this, in, but it's going to be way better 20 years from now in Goodfellas. Yeah, but the thing is, like, Mean Streets is really, really good. Like, all on its own. You can watch that having never seen a Scorsese film or not even knowing who Scorsese is and still, like, love the movie. 
you know, if I stumbled across this having no idea what it was or who Spike Lee was, I would just think it's a piece of shit. That's way harsh. That's way too I like, harsh. I, I'm it's not, not a piece of shit. It's not a piece of shit, but it's it's not good. It's not a piece of shit. There, there are some legitimate moments of comedy. There are actual laughs. <laughs> Dude, okay. when the guy is undressing in front of her and he's taking like an hour and a half and he's folding up her clothes. Yeah, see, I knew that was trying to be funny, but I saw it and I'm like, ooh, it's awkwardly done and it's not landing that comedic moment that how about it thinks the, it is. How yeah. about the close-up on the nipple? No. <laughs> and Spike Lee comes in. <laughs> And sucks on the nipple, and they shoot it in silhouette. Yeah, Not hysterical. Uh, really? Oh yeah. <laughs> I don't. Know. I laughed out loud. Uh, okay, I just they they yeah. shot it like it's a monolith from two thousand one. I yeah. thought it was great. Really? Like yeah. There's the event horizon. I thought it was awesome. I didn't get that impression at all. <laughs> I just thought it was lame, and I was like, oh, good for you, Spike. Lee. I liked Mars. <laughs> I thought Mars was the best character in the movie. Yeah, baby. Yeah, baby. Yeah, baby. <sighs> Yes. Mars is fun. Yeah. Spike Lee is not a good actor, but he's a fun actor at least. And I, I found suppose. him very fun in this. Yeah. And I don't know. None of it worked. <laughs> none of it worked for me. I, and I, I don't know. Maybe for first time features, like I might've appreciated it more had I not seen so many movies, like, like, like I said, in school that I thought were legitimately better than this. I'm not even kidding. This movie wasn't that good. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't have a lot of redeeming qualities about it. I just think it's like fine and I'm trying to take it for what it is, which is why I don't think it's bad, but it's one of the weakest, uh, first efforts by a director I think I've ever seen. Okay. That's so not fair. That's so ridiculously not fair. What do you want me to say? (laughs) That's my experience with the movie. It's weak. It's weak as hell. He's done a lot better. Yeah. I just don't think you like the subject matter. I just think movies like this annoy you. Uh, (laughs) It, it, the technical things aren't there though dude like maybe i could i i like i mean if we're getting into that i mean i like a few a true faux films that mm-hmm. get more into that mm-hmm. you know there's even some godard ideas that i don't mind you know you know i i, I mean there's a lot of breathless in this movie sure yeah i like breathless a lot more yeah, but, you, but even breathless bothers you though you watch breathless well, Bre- and you're bothered by by it. the style though not, yeah not so much by the subject matter and i don't like the characters that's right different but yeah in terms of like i don't know the story i'm okay with that i guess mm. you know see now, i i find breathless like really vibey and cool and i just yeah. enjoy spending time with these people even if they're not the greatest people yeah. and i felt sort of similarly here i think like it's got a pretty good sense of place i think like the the areas of brooklyn that they shoot are interesting locations I like when they're under the bridge and they're having that breakup conversation. Um, oh, it doesn't work. Yeah, you don't <laughs> oh, think no, so. It does. Nico, you could make a better movie than I, this. That's d- definitely yes. not true. Yes, it is. Definitely not true. Yes, I thought is. the dinner sequence on Thanksgiving was particularly stiff and weak. Yes. That felt like the Eraserhead dinner conversation. It but, did not feel like a romantic comedy conversation. Yes, guys, but the Eraserhead dinner sequence makes perfect sense yeah, to me. Yeah, right. So, like, I, I agree with you that there are some elements that are a little bit stiff and a little bit stagey. Um, but as a whole, I don't know. I found it like pretty charming. And, uh, as again, as a first feature, I can't view it outside the context of Spike's career. I thought it was okay. Yeah. Beef up that acting. Maybe I would have liked it. Okay. Acting sucks. Let's move on to a movie that we like. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Let's move on. Cause the rest of these movies I really like. Yes. (laughs) So let's talk about 1989's do the right thing. Mm -hmm. Starring Danny Aiello, Ossie Davis, Giancarlo Esposito, John Turturro and Spike Lee nominated for best supporting actor is Danny Aiello and best original screenplay at the Oscars that year was not nominated for best picture 
and was the subject of much controversy at the time. AFI puts Fight the Power by Public Enemy number 40 on their all-time movie song list. And they also put the movie itself number 87 all-time. On the hottest day of the year on the street in the Bedford... Stavisant? <laughs> I don't know. Sorry. Section of Brooklyn, everyone's hate and bigotry smolders and builds until it explodes into violence. You know what movies I love? Hot day movies. <laughs> Hot day movies rule. Ooh. They're nasty to me. I love sweat, man. I think about Dog Day Afternoon all the time when I think really? hot day movie. Yeah, I'm much more uncomfortable with that. So I want like the thing. Okay, you like cold. Yeah, I do. in movies usually, yeah. You're a cold guy. <laughs> Not a cold guy, but I like my cold movies. Give me heat. Give yeah. me sweat. Give yeah. me stains. Give me dirt. Yeah. Give me grossness. I want to see air conditioners and windows. I want to see ceiling fans. I want to see everything. That's so strange. Show me heat, baby. So strange. It's the best. Yeah. Uh, my favorite parts of westerns are when, like, you know, they do like a close up on a guy and he's sweating because mm. he's in a desert. You're so strange. I kind of want to live in a desert. I don't get you so, at all. It's a secret it's, confession of mine. I think you would get there for five minutes, and you'd be like the penguins from Madagascar. Dude, I kind of dig the desert. Okay. I I went to the desert once. <laughs> yeah, I dug it. You you were you were not living there though. No, but I felt like I could have seen you know I could see myself here. I'm curious to see how long you would have lasted living in a saloon. Yeah. <laughs> um, I knew I'd find him in the saloon, old Nico. <laughs> this film was inspired by an actual incident in New York City where some black youths were chased out of a pizzeria by some white youths in a section. Youths, I always think youths. Uh, in a section of New York City known as Howard Beach. Uh, so it's a real life incident. And uh, God damn it, it's as relevant today as it was the day it came out, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. And uh, is that a, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I think it's a pretty damn good thing. Yeah. I Well, bad for the country, but good for the movie. How about yeah, sure. That? I mean, it still has a life. Yeah. And it's not, it's like, again, sometimes you might look at a movie like this and think that it could get dated, but yeah, I'm actually surprised by how timeless it's actually become. Yes. You know, it kind of gets to the core of like people's uh, just general prejudices, not just black and white, but really everybody. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's, I mean, even still, even, even just watching this film, separating yourself from that kind of thing, it's just a movie dripping with place and atmosphere and color and just so much personality mm -hmm. i really love this movie yeah. yeah 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 it's it's i i it's not i it, i don't think any spike lee film is on my list of like favorites i i'm i'm not even sure I'd, i i think i've seen a masterpiece by him yet for me oh honest. i have yeah but uh this is a really really great no film. this is uh, yeah this is a masterpiece yeah i'll put it on my masterpiece list yeah there's one more that i definitely would put on my masterpiece list I know which one that is. There's, there's one more that, for sure it's on there, but this one, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think so. Um, you know, some movies uh, try to capture the past, some the future. This is a movie about the present, and yeah. sometimes the present repeats itself, and we're seeing that now in the country. Like, the last 20 minutes of this movie is exactly what happened in the country over the last two weeks. Mm -hmm. Beat for beat. And one of the things I love about the movie is that it just sort of captures things as they are. And, you know, you sort of think of Spike Lee as a guy with a point of view and like a, a very firm political stance. And you sure. sort of, you know, I think a lot of people have criticized him as uh, as sort of lecturing to his audience rather than just telling a story. 
but this movie doesn't really lecture. This movie just shows. I agree. You yeah. know, it's something I was worried about. I think when I first saw it, cause I don't like movies that lecture at all. Yeah. They're usually like my least favorite kinds of movies. Um, but this, yeah, it's just, uh, it, it does take a more objective approach than you would actually think. Mm-hmm. And it really takes its time to establish this neighborhood of people. And, and I mean, Oh boy. Yeah. I mean, I just, I do kind of appreciate the level of honesty that it has. It's, it's, I don't think it vilifies anybody, you know, and it shows a lot of sides being flawed, which is really nice. And, uh, but at the same time, like, it's not like a grueling watch no, at all, which is very important. It's That's not, true. It's not, you know, I mean, it's talking about stuff that end up being very kind of dark and depressing, but the movie doesn't feel that way. It's not, ex- I wouldn't call it cynical, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, yeah, it's just, it's just honest. Yes. Well, it, it, the movie plays a great trick on you, which yeah. is it leads you to believe that it's one thing and then it becomes a totally different thing in the last 20 yeah, minutes. True. And, you know, it's sort of it just introduces you to these characters and lets you live with these characters yeah. and what their life looks like, what the geography of the neighborhood looks like, mm-hmm. who mother sister is, uh, who, who Demare is, who, uh, you know, who radio what's it, radio Raheem radio Raheem, right? Sam Jackson's character. No, the, the, the guy that gets killed. Oh, radio Raheem, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. The guy's got the boom box. Yeah. 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 Okay. Who Radio Raheem? Yeah, who's Sam Jack? And I'm free, I'm blanking on the DJ's name. Yeah, Sam Jack. Yes, um, but you know, it just it lets you hang out in this world and become attached to these characters, and then it hits you even more when like you know the rug is pulled out and like the the uh, the powder keg is lit, for lack mm-hmm. of a better term. Yeah, um, you know, and it it actually is pretty painful to see what happens at the end of this movie to see this neighborhood sort of get torn apart by bigotry and by hatred you yeah. know on all sides though really yeah that's the thing it was something you could, you get the sense i mean it helps that the movie is as hot as it is because you get the feeling that tensions are bottling up and rising and steam's coming out you mm-hmm. know of everywhere um one thing i love about it though as well is that i think the notion of you know obviously spoilers if you haven't seen the movie but it ends with you know essentially you know a riot of sorts mm-hmm. a mini riot um but the I've seen a lot of movies that like show riots very like offhandedly and it just kind of happens, right. you know, you know, you think of Joker. Dark Knight Rises. Yeah. <clears throat> Joker. Yeah, Joker's even worse. Yeah. Yeah. But this movie says you have to commit a whole movie to understanding why a riot happens yes, in the first place. Precisely. And I think that's a beautiful statement and it's actually quite fascinating to watch happen. It is one of the biggest problems with Joker is that the rioters don't have an ethos. They don't believe anything. They're just rioting because it's human nature, man. Society keeping you down. Honestly, though, in the wake of what's happened, Joker actually makes a No, it did. Fuck you. No, it doesn't, bro. Uh, no, it, it, I might disagree. No, with it, you. It, 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 no it, it definitely doesn't, man. Like, jo- <laughs> no, Joker is a movie that's like, oh, a dude with a clown mask goes on a late night talk show and shoots a guy, and that's enough to burn the city down. Whereas. No, there's actual pain and there's actual like, you know, oppression that causes this shit, man. And that and, and I, I agree. That's with what that. the, that's what this movie gives credence to. No, I agree that that's yeah, that's what I'm I'm saying as well. Like usually that that's the case. But I think this these previous riots have sort of proved there's a there's a bit of a murky murkiness to what happened. Well, ultimately, that, that's a podcast for another day. Yeah, we're not going to get into. I don't want to get into that. No, that that's a, that's a podcast. But yeah. you know, I, I think here you're 100 percent right though. Yeah. They they do the work. They you understand why they're so angry by the mm-hmm. end of the movie. Um, 
while also, as you said, not really taking a side. No, which is, like I said, I was very, very surprised at that because I think I expected certain things going in because I, I know Spike Lee's attitudes and yeah. just his general worldview. So I was like, well, of course he's going to present this particular story this way and mm-hmm. focus only on these characters. But it's not really about that at all. Mm-hmm. I like I like how fair he actually is. Right. You know. Yeah, and it's about you know how hatred just breeds more hatred yeah. essentially and how uh you know the italians hating on the blacks and is you know is causes just as much pain and hate as you know the other way around and the koreans at the corner store are given their due as well and what they have to go through you know it's not just an exclusively black movie although it's a movie about black causes it's yeah. about like new york city and how this experiment is so difficult sometimes and messy um, and how, you know, you got to sort of break a lot of eggs to make an omelet uh, in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's tough, man, but you got to do the right thing. <laughs> and, <laughs> oh, he said it. Yeah, he said it. Uh, by the way, that is based on a Malcolm X quote. And, the right thing. you know, that's sort of a running theme throughout the movie, the dichotomy of MLK and, and Malcolm. Yeah. Um, you have the character uh, whose name I'm... Mookie? No, not not Mookie is Spike Lee's character, but okay. uh, the guy who is selling the postcards with oh. Malcolm with the picture of Malcolm X and, and MLK on oh, there. I don't remember his name. The mentally challenged guy. I don't know. Um, but he's uh, you know he's walking around with these cards and he's talking about how you know MLK is you know was shot and you know the whole story of both of them and uh, no one is listening. Yeah, you know he's the only kid because he's like so loud and uh, and he's an outcast like no one cares to hear the story and no one cares to hear the history but it's sort of this idea that they're two halves of the same coin like it's not one or the other like you have to sort of listen to both in order to fully understand the black experience and like mm-hmm. how that tug of war is like crucial and necessary um and so like you know that's a really complicated approach to race relations and like this movie is just full of that you know it's also just how the tug of war like even though it's necessary also causes a lot of problems in a weird way yeah like yeah it's 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 important it's like kind of like the only way but you're sort of naturally going to lead to a lot of people being upset or you know (laughs) losing their temper we'll say yes um which i think is again you know the fact that the movie doesn't really pull punches is very important to me it would have been so much worse if it did yeah so yeah, I really appreciate this movie, even though, yeah, no, uh, it's, yeah, it's a great film. What's the name of that I guy? Really love it. Uh, oh, I don't know. The Mentally Challenged Guy. Smiley. Smiley. Smiley, yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. Smiley just wants to sell his postcards. Mm-hmm. No, but it is such a fascinating device. Like, the the one guy that is, like, interested in this story is the one guy that no one's listening to. Yeah, isn't you that know? how it always is? Yeah, I think that's just a, you know, really interesting, uh, um, interesting point. Um, yeah, man, uh, this movie is like an American classic. It's like one of the most important movies ever made and <laughs> is still as relevant today as ever. So vibrant. Mm, yeah. Well, the, I, I, the color scheme is incredible. I just always think about that red wall that the three old guys sit around talking in front of yeah. big Dick Willie. <laughs> <laughs> what a name. <laughs> Hysterical character. I, apparently all of those scenes were improvised. Really? Yeah. I guess it makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think about the beginning, the dance sequence with Rosie Perez and uh, that sort of orange um, uh, brownstone. It's just awesome. By the way, Spike Lee loving on nipples even more. Thank God for left nipples. <laughs> Thank God for right nipples. <laughs> 
Thank God for kneecaps. Yeah, that knowing seeing this movie and then seeing she's got a ha- it didn't make that scene any better. <laughs> Thank God I saw this one first. <laughs> uh, Totoro, great. Yes, really good. Actually, I, lo- I actually kind of love him in this film. Yeah, Sam Jackson, fun. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, this movie was a, a real talking point in yeah. certain circles. People thought that it would perhaps incite riots. If, you, if like black people went and saw it, like they may riot, they may burn down the theater. Uh, and Spike Lee at the time, it's a great quote. He goes, I don't remember people saying we're going to come out of theaters killing people after they watch Arnold Schwarzenegger films. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like white people don't riot after seeing Rambo. Like, you know, why would black people riot after seeing this one? But that was like a real talking point at the time. Like, oh, this might incite like the race war. That's It's, it's funny because he's actually pointing out some prejudices just by that notion alone like yes. hmm, i don't you know it reminds me of that i can't say it but that dave chappelle skit where he's like uh talking with his producer about using the the word faggot to describe gay people oh right yeah yeah yeah, and yeah, yeah, then yeah, yeah. it yeah. just it makes me think yeah. of that yes well i ain't no n-word either <laughs> it's a great it's joke. A great joke incredible joke <laughs> uh feature film debut of martin lawrence mm. that's right oh my god wow yeah that's pretty cool yeah and uh you know i think probably should have won best picture but Mm. was not even nominated awesome cast awesome awesome cast and you're right what won that year i don't know when did this come out again 1989 jeez i don't know uh oh (laughs) driving miss daisy oh no that's what they thought was more important <laughs> right oh boy. well now we see the problem don't yeah, we driving miss daisy yeah i feel bad for that movie that movie's just become, the movie fucking blows dude it's become a just a running gag with american culture yeah no that that's a bad look <laughs> that's a bad look 30 years later no. that driving miss daisy wins over do the right thing that ain't good hmm. all right uh let's move on anything else you want to say no awesome movie what do you want? Okay. Clockers. Clockers. Written by Richard Price, based on his novel. Uh, Richard Price, great novelist and uh, screenwriter. He wrote uh, The Color Money. Did he? Okay. And uh, The Outsider for HBO. Oh, I didn't know that. I think The Night Of. And he was, I think most crucially, uh, in the writer's room for The Wire, along uh, with other great crime writers. And like, I can just see why david simon hired richard price for the right the writer's room or the wire because like this movie is has so much of the wire in it you know he's just doing his practice laps before the main event i still need to like commit to the wire so good uh this movie stars harvey keitel john taturo delroy lindo he's so good in this movie mckay mm. pfeiffer and keith david one of your faves i love keith david <laughs> young drug pushers in the projects of brooklyn live dangerous hard lives trapped between their drug bosses and the detectives out to stop them this movie was uh initially going to be a martin scorsese picture okay marty dropped out spike lee took over uh i mean it could have worked as a scorsese film i think it it's obviously you know fits nicely with spike lee as well Mm -hmm. yeah really good movie 
You watched it for the first time, right? Yeah, I did. I it took me a while to kind of get into it. The first hour really didn't like like grab me, but once once the character once it started turning into more of like good time, yeah, <laughs> it started to make a lot more sense to me. It just takes a while to get to that point, I suppose. Yeah, and I, I you know, it's, it's another one of those movies where most of the characters are like drastically flawed. There's not a whole lot of good people, and the, most of the good people are kind of being shit on. You know, particularly Victor. Yes, you know, unfortunately. Poor Victor. Poor Victor. Oh, boy. <laughs> Jesus. Love those conversations he has with his brother, though. One yeah. of my favorite parts of the movie. But yeah, no, just again, it, it, similar, I guess, at that time, it, it fits into the vein of like, do the right thing. It's not the same kind of tone, obviously, mm-hmm. but, you know, similar point in Spike Lee's life, you know, just dealing with things a little bit differently, I would say. Yeah. And, you know, pops just as much in a lot of ways. And, um, uh, also some really good music, great and, music and, uh, some uh, performances across the board, just rock in this movie. I think this is the first collaboration between him and Terrence Blanchard that we're talking about on this list. Obviously he worked with them before. Uh, I think Mo Better blues was the first one that he did with Terrence Blanchard, but, um, he has done, I think almost 20 movies, him and Blanchard. Uh, they're very like obvious. Like I can yeah. always tell it's, it's Blanchard. And I mean, it's it's funny. Like I have like similar like 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 nitpicks with the music, uh-huh. and I don't know if it's the music itself, but so much like the way it's implemented into the movie. The music does tend to call attention to itself. Yeah, it's not as bad here, but it, I mean it's 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 far. I mean it's far more noticeable and you know problematic in other movies like the twenty fifth hour. Okay, which we'll get to. Um, but this, yeah, th- this is a little uh, uh, laid back in that in that way. There's like a scene or two where I'm like, why is the music playing here? You know, and that happens in a lot of his movies. But usually, uh, yeah, it's 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 fairly well in- implemented. It's and it's just like nice, good old style orchestral music. Yes, that I just think is awesome that we don't see anymore. Yeah, uh, and yeah, it's just really really cool. Um, so yeah. It's it, it's good. I don't have like a tremendous amount to say about it. There's just maybe it's just kind of the story, but. You know, it's it's just a solid like like, you know, drug crime thriller, I suppose. Um, so it's you know a police procedural yeah. in many ways, and I think in the hands of a lesser filmmaker, it is played as such. I think even if Marty does it, there's more of a focus on the cops than there is on the criminals. You know, do you do you I, believe that? I do. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think if Marty does it, I think it looks more like a sort of straight cop murder investigation. Has M- Marty done that, though? Has he made like a, a, a straight the, the departed is certainly. Yeah, well, but he's focusing on a rat. In, yeah. In the police department. I, I feel like when Marty is doing something that involves the cops, it's a little more com- complicated than that. Well, the story itself is complicated, but I, I just see it like if, I, if I'm watching it, it, a Marty film doesn't have the same sort of, uh, I don't know, what what's the word? First of all, it doesn't have the same sort of energy as a Spike Lee movie. I wouldn't say it's a different energy. A di- though, yeah. Yeah. A, yeah a, di- a different energy. Yeah. yeah. And I also think a little more interest in the plot. I think Spike Lee is less interested in plot generally than Marty is. Well, I, that depends. I think late period Marty's a little more interested in plot. Right. But this is interesting because I think uh, early period Marty is 
couldn't give a shit about plot. Yeah. You know, and that sort of eclipse or climaxes rather with uh, Goodfellas right. in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, similarly with uh, um, Spike Lee as well, because I think a lot of his early earlier films are sort of like whatever when it comes to the plot. It's more like like character and, right. and tone and whatnot. And certainly is is true here. It's like got a there's a plot, but it's like far loose. And it's there are many instances where you're like, I don't necessarily know where this movie's going. This 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 scene is devoted entirely to character. Like when he's just showing uh, Tyrone the train set, you know, right. for like 10 minutes, Yes, you know, and it's good stuff. It's just like, you know, the movie, there's not like a ton of momentum in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's even though it's incredibly well-made, right? The wire is exactly the same way that okay. it's, a, and also the thing that this has in common with the wire is that it's not so much about the murder investigation. It's about the system that allowed this murder to happen. Mm hmm. And uh, in terms of the characters, again, I see exactly why Richard Price went on to uh, collaborate on The Wire, because he doesn't judge any of these characters. These characters aren't good or bad. They're just cogs in a wheel. Mm -hmm. And they contain multitudes, and they have several different dimensions. Harvey Keitel, in many ways, is a good cop. In other ways, he's kind of a fucking racist. (laughs) Uh, You know, uh, the main character, uh, Strike. Strike is the name of the main guy. Yeah, Strike is in some ways, a good brother and a mentor to this young child. But like, you know, he's also a drug dealer and a criminal and it has sort of a checkered violent past. He's, he's not a good guy. Yeah. He's not so, a good guy. Yeah. So, you know, all of these characters, judgment is not passed on them. Although like they do bad things and they do good things. The system is really what this movie is about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think about that scene at the beginning where they're investigating the murder scene and the cops are just making fun of this dead guy yeah. and just, you know, they smell the shit behind him and they're just and they make a sort of big motion to be like, oh, it stinks over here. You know, all of these black people are killing themselves. I think at one point the line is uh, that the projects are a self-cleaning oven That's because terrible. these guys just, you know, they're killing themselves. Like there's no need to shoot everybody because they're just going to kill themselves anyway. Yep. Um, so, you know, th- there are all of these little moments that speak to not only those specific characters but also the system that produced them mm-hmm. um and yeah the wire just does it masterfully yeah. um so this is again like a practice run for the wire but interesting yeah vibrant as you said great score the stuff with the kid is awesome yes i agree uh, uh delroy lindo as the uh, head drug dealer is oh, so great awesome in this movie that guy is an awesome character actor every time i see that guy i'm like oh yeah that dude yeah, it's like him and everyone else, and it's not even close. Not to say that everyone else is bad in the movie, but I mean, this yeah. guy is just like perfect. Yeah, doing laps around everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I I love a movie like this, man. Yeah, I it's 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 a solid film on all fronts. It's not necessarily. I mean, I, I don't even. I want to say it's it's not my thing. It's just you know, um, it in in my opinion, it's a little more disposable than some of his other movies in his career. Okay. It's not the most memorable thing that I've seen by him. It's isn't, um, but you know, I mean, I, I guess for what it is, it's, it, I guess like where I hate doing this, but in terms of like quantifying quality and my feelings towards the film, it's very similar to like, um, uh, God rounders in terms of like how I feel about it. Okay. It's on that similar level. If you, I don't know if that makes any sense to you or the listeners. So it's a Hall of Fame movie is what you're saying. <laughs> it, think about me. So you're here. saying it's one of the 10 greatest movies ever made. Yes. Is that what you're saying? Saying it's better than The Godfather. Got it. Actually, okay, none. Not better than The Godfather, but uh, uh, better than Godfather 2. Got it. Okay. 
Dude, wrong movie to compare it with. You th- think about fucking it. I'm not talking about shit. I'm not talking about you, dude. <laughs> I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me. Um, anything else? Uh, nah, not really. Not as much for this one. Okay. I do like it though. It was a good movie. Great poster. Uh, the rip off of a poster. You mean of what? Of uh, Anatomy of a Murder. Really? Are you kidding me? I didn't know that. <laughs> look it up right now. Let me look it up. You'll have your fucking mind blown. Anatomy. It's like Bonfire of the Vanities and uh, Nothing But Trouble. Yeah, that's the same poster. <laughs> <laughs> 1959. <laughs> well, never mind. <laughs> Anatomy of a Murder. Great poster. <laughs> Also, that opening sequence is awesome. All the the photos of the the dead black guys at the beginning. It's oh like, yeah, it just it's a great mission statement sort of. I have to say that about the one of my favorite things about she's got to have it though was the op- was the opening uh like like photography of of essentially like like Black America in New York City. I thought that was a good little portrait of of the setting and the people, mm-hmm. and it worked quite well. That that honestly that was my favorite part of that movie. Yep. So, yep. Uh, okay. Cool. Twenty fifth hour. 2002. Yeah. Written by David Benioff, based the, on his novel. Yeah, the David Benioff. Who went on to ruin Game of Thrones. That's true. Along with D.B. Weiss. It's not just <laughs> his fault. <laughs> Starring Edward Norton, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Barry Pepper, Rosario Dawson, Anna Paquin, and Brian Cox. Golden Globe nominated for Best Original Score. Cornered by the DEA, convicted New York drug dealer Montgomery Brogan. Brogan? Reevaluates his life in the 24 remaining hours before facing a seven year jail term. This movie was in its planning stages right when the t- uh, the uh, the planes struck the World Trade Center on yeah, 9-11. That's true. And so Spike Lee's like, OK, we can either ignore this or we can go into production and incorporate that into the film. And I personally believe that that one element pushes this movie over the edge for being a fucking awesome movie to a fucking masterpiece of a movie. That's just my opinion though. Uh, this is my favorite Spike Lee movie. Uh, I adore it. I actually think it's his best. Um, in many ways it's, it's most accessible. Um, but you know, I, I don't count that forward or against it. I just, I, I find it so very, very moving and I love the subject matter here. I love this idea of a film I love that it doesn't really have a conflict, doesn't really have a plot. It just sort of hangs out with these characters for two hours and mm-hmm. the world sort of feels like it's moving slow in those 24 hours because it's his last 24 hours essentially on earth before he goes into this other land, essentially his his grave yeah. going to prison for seven years. Um, and you add that 9-11 stuff and it's like, oh yeah, that's what New York was feeling after 9-11. And like, I don't think anyone can capture it as brilliantly as Spike captured it during this movie. There has never been a 9-11 movie that is this impactful. Um, So yeah, I think it's the definitive 9-11 movie. I think it's a really awesome just character study as it is. I adore all of the performances. I adore the score. I um, rewatched it this week. Me too. And um, God damn (laughs) hasn't aged a day for me. I adore it. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Cool. Yeah. Uh, let me, I guess, guess uh, I'll get my criticisms out of the way. Um, 
Barry Pepper needs to chill out. <laughs> He's overacting just a tad. Okay. That's a problem. Um, the score here is what I like. Score, again, it's so funny saying this because the score, if I were to listen to it, like in the car would be like really awesome. Yeah. But there are many, many, many moments in the film where I'm like, the score is actually like detracting from the experience for me. Okay. Many moments, not, not like it doesn't, it's not pervasive in the film. It doesn't ruin it on the whole or anything like that. But yeah, there's many moments where it's like this whole scene would have played so much better if you had just taken the score right out. Right. And the only other problem is occasionally, occasionally there are some scenes that are devoted to like what feel like unmotivated edits and that was even worse than the score at sometimes. Like there's a scene in particular. Like the jump cuts? Some of them. There's a scene where um, they're in the, like it's a uh, um, um, Philip Seymour Hoffman and Barry Pepper in the bar and Barry Pepper is really pissed off because he just had a pretty terrible conversation with Rosario Dawson. Right. And um, there's a, in, many instances in that where the camera is cutting back and forth and I, it just makes no sense to me. Okay. And it doesn't, add to the tension it just confuses me and it just feels like it's there to liven the scene up even though it's unnecessary Mm. and in a way it feels more manipulative so again it's it's so you're only bothered by like just the cutting back and forth on shot reverse shots you're not bothered by like the punctuated when they like replay the same scene three times over. Oh no! Like, boom, boom, boom. That's a Spike Lee ism. He does that in many of his most of these movies. Yeah, actually. yeah, yeah. I don't mind that at all. Okay. But it, it's it's more like like you know where the I guess shot reverse shot, but also like shot like to to like a random profile. And I'm just like, what what was the point of that? Like you could have stayed just on this one character delivering this line, and it honestly would have worked mm-hmm. much better, and would have sold that line in a more convincing and authentic manner. And when you do that, it just feels like like janky and kind of at a place it just throws me off of like the rhythm um other than that though this movie's fucking awesome yeah what do you want from me i think it's more an allegory about america Uh and i feel like uh edward norton is sort of like the representative skeleton of everything that america is right it's got a lot of great allusions to other like cinema that is sort of critical of american culture one of the most obvious ones uh, aside from like, there's a slight Cool Hand Luke reference with the poster and whatnot, but uh-huh. that that almost feels like an ideal image of like the how great they could have been, regardless of like the sacrifices they have well, to make. Well, also, but, it's a movie it, that's a movie about a prisoner too. Yeah, exactly. Like you know, like Cool Hand Luke, Paul Newman just shows up in this prison is in, automatically he's big man on campus, mm-hmm. and that's sort of like a dichotomy here. Ed Norton is going in assuming that he's going to get his ass kicked right away yeah. and has to ugly himself up. Mm-hmm. Paul Newman is one of the most handsome movie stars of all time. <laughs> and you know i i just think like that's i'd never thought about it until you just said it man this movie fucking rules but i, I that's like an interesting dichotomy there yeah. you know yeah. like the ideal prisoner versus like what actually happens to you when you go to prison exactly yep there's like a there's like what and this is this plays into other ideas that the movie gets at later on like like all the way towards the end towards what america could be mm-hmm. and there's that great like final like montage sequence of you know a life that could have been wasted right you know where he's a great final scene dude but that whole thing is just outlaying like okay we have so much untapped potential here right we could start over and we could become something much greater than we currently are but we're broken yes and we don't know what to do and a lot of that is because of 9-11 yes and a lot of that is also just because of our own history and the movie addresses that quite well with uh the way the camera just tracks along like the minorities in the street as they're driving away which is a beautiful they're all smiling at them yeah yeah 
Like, it, and those are the same people that he went on that whole tirade about hating. Yeah. It's like, we're still here for you, man. Yes. And we'll go along with you if you just let us. But th- again, then the movie is like, yeah, we could, that, that's what it could be, but we're here right now. And then the movie ends. Right. But that also reminds me of Easy Rider. And the movie makes a lot of allusions to that as yeah. well. There's a great scene in the, I, I wasn't sure if it meant anything, but there's a similar scene in a bar where it says Easy Rider in the background. And I think it's, oh, just, wow. like, it's just like neon lights. And I'm like, okay, well, interesting. And then towards the end, we have uh, Edward Norton on the couch after he's had the shit beaten out of him talking to Rosario Dawson. And he's just crying, saying, I fucking blew it. Oh, my God. I'm like, ah. Oh, wow. It's about America. Yeah. (laughs) Hell yeah. There you go. Yeah. And it all has that double meaning. Like you can read that that final monologue that Brian Cox does, which, by the way, he just performs the shit out of that monologue, dude. I want to see him perform that on stage. Mm -hmm. Like just incredible. Yeah. Um, but he like regrets his own alcoholism and his yeah. role that he played in, in where his son is and yeah. you know, the, the regret he feels there's this line where, uh, he says, I'm going to go have one last drink with my boy mm. after I haven't drank in two years. I'm going to have one last drink with my boy. And like, there's so much regret there of like what could have been if yeah. just one thing changed. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, it has sort of that like human element. Um, father son thing but then you put the backdrop of 9-11 and it takes on this whole other meaning like yeah. I hear that final line when he says you know uh, that all of this could have been different yeah you know all of that could have been different too 3,000 people could have survived and they would have had lives of their own and uh, perhaps could have done great things for the world but instead some people decided to crash an airplane into the, the World Trade Center mm-hmm. um, so yeah it just adds this pathos that is a luck thing in many ways, but yeah. you know, you make your own luck sometimes, right? That's true. Yeah. You know? Uh, it's a great New York city movie. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Uh, dude, the dude just knows New York, man. That's his city. He, he knows it well and he understands how to shoot it, where to shoot it from. I love the opening credits. Just, yeah. just the way it looms on the city and the lights of the world trade center, uh, monument that was, yeah. And they still do that. Don't they, do um, they still shine the lights? Th- yeah, there's lights in there. Yeah, I thought that. Yeah, I wasn't sure if they still do. I'm not sure it quite looks like that, but they have lights in there. Yeah. Yeah, I was always wondering if they if they took those out. That would be because that would be sad to me if they did. Yeah. You know, but I just love that. Like again, because you know, obviously that came after the fact, and they it's again establishing just the tone and just the the place of mind that everyone is kind of in for the rest of this movie. I just mm-hmm. think it's brilliant. I will say in regards to your comment about the score, Terrence Blanchard. I just heard an interview with him. Uh, a few days ago on a podcast that I listened to. And um, he talks about how he was a classically trained jazz music musician mm-hmm. and only wanted to be a jazz musician. Film composition was never in the game plan for him. Uh, I think he was just like a session guy when they were doing the score for do the right thing. Yeah. And uh, Spike was like, Hey, you want to like score my next movie? Mm-hmm. I think you can do it. So he then learns how to become a film composer but his relationship with Spike has always been um, he sends him some music that he thinks would work for a particular scene. And Spike will be like, oh, yeah, I think I want to use that in that scene instead. Mm. Like he tells this great story about Inside Man. He's writing. He wrote this theme for Inside Man that was supposed to sort of happen towards the end of the movie. He describes it as a love theme. And he includes like the flute in that scene to sort of nudge at Spike like this is, you know, sort of a light, intimate moment. Let's maybe <laughs> put that towards the end as a love theme. And Spike's like, oh, yeah, I want that to be the theme for the whole movie. <laughs> so let's rework that and make that the theme for the whole movie. And I and uh, 
you know, I think sometimes that doesn't always work. Uh, you can sometimes tell like, oh, yeah, that piece of music seems to be made for one thing, but Spike just totally repurposed it. Um, but I do think it's often intentional. And I think like a lot of times he uses contradictory music to highlight certain feelings. Yeah. You know, like he perhaps plays a more angry theme when someone is more subdued, but yeah, it adds like an element. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it adds a sort of unspoken quality to the theme. It sort of punches up an emotion that you didn't quite see there. Sure. I, I guess maybe it, it, it depends. I don't know. Maybe I would change my mind if I was in a different mindset on a different day. If yeah. I was feeling differently about a certain movie, right? It can feel a little manipulative, though, uh-huh. in a way, because I think in a way that that's that can be what it's but doing. not manipulative in like a cliche way. But it's trying to force that emotion on you, I would say, and it's like the scene, like what's happening, does not call for that, and it just like it just I don't know. It, it, at times, it throws me off. But I would a scene not calling for it is not the same as manipulative, though. Well, if we, well, we talk about this though. Is Michael like th- does? I don't know. D- is is the score being used because the scene itself is not really servicing those emotions? You know, so you you, re- right, you right. need to hang on the score in order to make it better. That's what- I, see. I don't think that's what happens okay. in a Spike Lee movie. Okay. I think like he surprises you with the score, mm-hmm. and sometimes like the score feels inappropriate (laughs) but that doesn't necessarily mean he's using it as a crutch i think in many cases it's the opposite because i agree with that too there are certainly instances where i I will feel that and be like oh that's actually kind of interesting right you know certainly like in the scene like with the mom in uh clockers like yelling at the people which is like a the the score there is much more pronounced than it probably should be but in a way like that just made it feel all the more important and it keeps paying off as the movie goes along Mm -hmm. with her just trying to address them and the score again becomes it, it starts to mean something and it has this great little motif uh, but there are instances here, like my, the, the example I think of in the 25th hour is when, um, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman comes to visit Barry Pepper and they go by the window and they see all the, the rubble from nine 11 down there yeah. from the world trade center and great scene. And it's just like looking at them out the window. Um, and yeah, the music there just didn't really work for me cause it was in a similar, like kind of awkward spot. And I'm like, like, wait, I'm, I'm sort of like confused more than anything. And I guess that's my point is like, I never want to be confused in a movie yes i i don't and when and when someone says oh they want you to feel confused i almost always think that that's bullshit it's very very hard for a movie to 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 make me believe that you're supposed to feel confused i don't it you know very rarely has that ever happened so well i, I don't even know confused i just think um it's certainly emotionally confused yeah that right right yeah that's what i mean and that's not emotional confusion is not something you no, I don't like it. It's not your vibe. <laughs> I will say that if there's one thing, and I'm not, I'm not prejudiced to many movies. I like a lot of dumb shit, mm-hmm. but <laughs> yeah, that's one element where it's like, in terms of style, that has almost never worked for me. Mm. Uh, I want to talk about Hoffman for just a moment because he's great in this movie, <laughs> and that whole arc is so sad and pathetic, but awesome. It's not like as sad and pathetic as I think I thought it was going to be, though. Like it is, but at the end of it, there is, I don't know. There's a little more ethos to it, uh-huh. I would say, like because especially in the way he he's, a lot of ethos talk today. Uh, whatever, <laughs> we're getting so smart. A lot of ethos and pathos being like, thrown around. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're the worst, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. We always read our dictionary before we come on. It's common practice. Always, always, always. I always read a little Aristotle before <laughs> I hop on. Here. What you don't <laughs> always brush up on my Plato. You don't read Kafka. No, I don't read Kafka. 
<laughs> Philistine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the 25th hour is dope. And yes, Philip Seymour Hoffman is really, really good. In it I well. think I my forget. favorite, what, what do you call that? The, like the, the treadmill shot that Spike oh, implements. Oh, when he's like, it, and yes, it's, it's like a, it's a, it's more of a dolly shot. It's a dolly, but, but they put the, they put the actor literally on a cart, it's a, right? It's a platform. Yeah. Right. And he, and, right. And he just, you know, dollies it with a little zoom though. No, no zoom. There's no zoom. No, there's one in clockers that I think it's like a, it's a, um, dolly zoom, which okay. is like a classic, uh, thing that they do. But, um, yeah, that's more traditional, but this is, yeah, it's almost just always, a dolly shot. Yeah. Just a dolly shot with like a, with like a single, you right. Know? But this one's different because usually they're head on and they're in the center of the frame. Yes. But this Philip Seymour Hoffman one, he's kind of off to the right and very skewed. This is my favorite Spike Lee dolly shot, I think, ever. Yeah, maybe mine too. Because it accentuates the emotion that he's feeling there. It's not just like, I think in Inside Man, we're going to talk about it in a second. Oh, the, yeah. the Denzel shot at the end is good, but that's just, it, he comes to a revelation mm-hmm. and it's like his head becomes clear and it, and sort of he figures out the crime in that moment. That's how the shot is used in inside man. Correct. There's, there's one like that. There's also one where after he kills the, well, kills the guy in quotes. Right. And he gets so mad. Oh, right, 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 right. It's like a sped up version. You right, know? right. Which is actually quite good. So usually those shots accentuate clarity. Mm-hmm. That's the complete opposite here. Th- this one is used to like, you're in Philip Seymour Hoffman's hazy state of mind. It's like, what the fuck did I just do? And all of that regret just rushes into him in one moment. See, I actually like it more here because yeah. I've, I've always thought it was like an interesting technique. It's very – it's like only Spike. So yeah. he's got a style that is specifically unique to him. Mm-hmm. But I've always thought that it worked better as a means of confusion because it's so – like like – it's almost hallucinogenic in a weird way yes and so unnatural you would think it would be a more hazy state of mind but usually it is a character coming to some weird epiphany right you know and also sometimes it's just unmotivated like black Klansman at the end of black Klansman, that shot is just them in the hallway with a gun it's like oh i gotta do it i gotta do my thing yeah yeah that just meant nothing it was just oh look it's a cool way to end the movie yeah um no this one there, there feels like there are emotional stakes there um, and it's just a really great awkward moment with Anna Paquin oh my in that God. bathroom. It's really, really good. Oh boy. Anna Paquin in this movie <laughs> is just a fucking mess. She just reminded me so much of her character in, uh, uh, squid and the whale. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually similar storyline there. Huh? Just exactly the yeah. same. <laughs> yeah. God, I fucking love 25th hour. Yes, it's very good. So goddamn good. Awesome. Awesome movie. Uh, inside man. Ooh, Let's insane. end with this. 2006. Mm. Starring Denzel Washington, Clive Owen, Jodie Foster, Christopher Plummer, and Willem Dafoe. A police detective, a bank robber, and a high-powered broker enter high-stakes negotiations after the criminal's brilliant heist spirals into a hostage situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, initially, a Ron Howard film. Okay. Script was batted around for like four or five years. Ron Howard's production company buys it. He drops out. Spike Lee comes in. Good old Spike always picking up the scraps. Yeah. So it's one of his like hired hand movies. You know, it's one of his just like studio movies that, you know, pays well, I guess. It was a nice paycheck. And I believe this is his highest grossing movie of all time as well. Uh, I would also say it's pretty damn mainstream. If 25th Hour is not his most accessible, this one certainly is. Mm -hmm. It's a good old fashioned heist movie bank robbery movie it's dog day afternoon but in uh you know modern times 
In fact, there's actually a quote in this movie where Denzel says to Clive Owen, you saw Dog Day Afternoon, you're stalling. <laughs> yeah, so it, this is just very, very Dog Day Afternoon. Yeah. Uh, talk to me about it. It's weird. Uh, usually the most mainstream movie by a filmmaker is the last thing that is my favorite from their filmography. Uh-huh. I think this is my favorite Spike Lee movie. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know why. I mean, I mean, I know why, but I don't know how I landed on like just responding to this more than I did any of his other films. I don't think it's his best movie, but there's just something about this as a genre piece that is just so affecting for me personally. I just like heist movies in general. They're always fun and they're always captivating. And they're just some of the more thrilling stories you can tell. Uh, This is just one of the coolest versions of that, in Mm -hmm. my opinion. And I so buy it. I love these bank robbers. I love these officers that are trying to get them. And I love the sort of interplay as to why they're robbing the bank and Christopher Plummer's involvement and Jodie Foster's involvement and where that ultimately leads. Okay, I'm going to stop you there. That is actually my least favorite part of the movie. Oh, I actually kind of like it. I don't don't think that stuff works at all. Really? I I don't think... Jodie Foster's character makes any sense. <laughs> I don't understand what Christopher Plummer exactly is trying to hide other than he was a Nazi and he killed some Jews, I guess. Yeah. And he sort of banked off of, well, he's, he didn't specifically kill them. He let them die so that he could become rich. Yeah. That stuff just feels tacked on. Mm-hmm. That just feels like unnecessary motivation. Yeah. Like to me, like, you know, money is a good enough reason to rob a bank. <laughs> you know, I don't need like a bunch of jewels in a safe deposit box and a Nazi conspiracy like that. It, I don't care. Mm-hmm. Just like rob the bank because you want some cash. Yeah. It's too, I, I don't know because I agree with you. Like, cause it is a little contrived and silly, but I don't know. I think it's like a played up well enough. It's not that it's done poorly in my opinion. And it, they at least like follow through with it. It's not dropped or anything. Yeah. And it's a much more interesting motivation than the bank robbers being like, in my opinion, just being like, we want money. Cause we've seen that. God only knows how many times. Kinda, but, I guess. But like, if you take that part out of the movie, does it change? Oh, are you seriously making that critic? No, but no, but no. That's what I mean, though. But like, if you, if Jodie Foster is not even in the movie, and Christopher Plummer is just the guy that owns the bank, and he doesn't have any dark secret to hide, the movie's basically the same. I guess it makes their endeavors of robbing the bank a little more noble. Sure, more, it's there because they're you know they are robbing men. Yeah, it's essentially what they are, and they're not supposed to be like these these quote unquote bad guys, which I think is a more interesting twist on the genre. You know, because even in like you get uh uh um, Jesus Ocean's Eleven, you know, we love those characters, but they're criminals. Yeah, yeah, they're stealing. They're technically doing bad things, and these guys are m- more heroic. It takes a lot more time to establish the fact that they have their motivations are far more sound than the than anybody outside believes that they are. I don't need them to be sound though. I just need to just i need to buy that they would do it i I just need to understand it's like i think about dog day afternoon Mm. like i i don't know is paying for your lover's sex change is that a noble cause to rob a bank no but i get why he did it sure right and i sympathize with the fact that he did it yeah you know like that to me is a way more compelling reason than just the dude was a nazi and i want to expose that he was a nazi well it's also simpler in dog day afternoon like that motivation is like very of this world like you can latch onto that much quicker than you could this i suppose yeah which i guess in a way is what i responded to so much in this not that i don't absolutely love dog day afternoon yeah but um 
Yeah, this in a way, like I said, as a genre piece is actually, you know, kind of neat. Yes. And it could have been very pulpy. That that story, we are robbing the bank. We're going to be Robin Hood people of a Nazi and steal his diamonds. And I'm going to walk right out the door and not be seen. Like it's a, it's comic booky in a lot of ways. But uh, yeah, it's a ton of fun. Yeah. It's like, I don't really care about like this, like, I guess leaps you need to take. I wasn't necessarily buying it, reading it as something that was like supposed to be like gritty and realistic in the way that Dog Day Afternoon is. Mm-hmm. I just said, okay, w- what is this, you know, bank heist movie that looks boring on the surface? Cause I remember when this came out and it just looked so uninteresting to me. Yeah. I remember seeing the trailers and it just felt like a, like the third Liam Neeson knockoff, you know, essentially. And I was like, oh, actually, this is, you know, kind of involved and interesting and it's showing like these bank scenes these bank robbery scenes in a way that i didn't anticipate yeah you know i love most things about this i mean it's a great cable movie for me great cable movie almost every conversation clive owen has and that's why the jodie foster scenes work very well for me is like when she goes in to talk to him i love just how he basically says yeah here's why you're a fucking moron jodie foster's awesome in it oh yeah although the character doesn't make sense i mean it's just as you said an awesome cast willem dafoe is just like in it for 10 minutes Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just stacked. Totally. Yeah, I mean, stylistically, it rules. Yeah. Um, I love a heist movie. I love a bank robbery movie. I'm, I'm never going to hate on this movie, certainly. I, I just think, like, some of the elements of the script are a little contrived. And, uh, you know, that being said, watching the heist unfold is super fun. Yeah. And, like, watching smart criminals is always fun. Nothing like a smart criminal. Nothing like a heist that goes right. Yep. You never want a heist to go wrong in a heist movie, even if the bad guys are doing it. You always want to see them get away with the gold. Well, they do a great job at making you think it could go wrong. Yeah. I mean, I love that scene where they play out the um, uh, uh, the actual raid on the bank. And they're like, we're going to go through this to this door, and then we're going to hop over this fence, and we're going to break through the vault here. And then it just resets back. And they, sh- they show you but, – but in the process of that, they're showing you all the chaos of like shooting the bad guy to getting everyone down to excavating the, the, the hostages and all that. And then they're like, okay, once we try it for real – no, actually, we we've the, the robbers have compensated for the fact that you're going to do all those things, right? And we're going to do it this way right. and completely. They know the fact that you're bugging the pizza box. They they, they they've seen everything coming. They bugged us. Which, by <laughs> the way, <laughs> do you know that pizza place sells sells? That's sells. So apparently, Danny Aiello re- reopened in a, another part of Brooklyn. What do you mean it's sells? It's sells pizza, like like. They, like the, the pizza place from Do the Right Thing. Yes. They're in the same universe? Yes. That's what I'm saying. Cool. That's what I'm telling you. That makes me happy. Yeah. Sweet. Good for you, Sal. So, you, you, you racist bastard. You racist <laughs> son of a bitch. I love Sal. <laughs> How can you not? Uh, yeah. Uh, Denzel's awesome. Denzel's really... I actually think he's, he's really, really good in this. And then Chadwick Boseman. And is it, no, no. no. Ch- Chidwell Chiwetel. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Close enough. I know they all look the same to you, Adam. But. Oh, why'd you have to say that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, he's... Yeah, you're, I forgot to mention him in the cast. Yeah, he's really good, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I just wish more directors did this. I wish more, like, high-profile directors, especially like Spike Lee. Like, if Tarantino made a movie like this, someone else's script... And just, you know, went crazy with style. Mm. I remember like when Tarantino directed an episode of CSI. What? Yeah, it was like the weirdest episode of CSI ever. But I, I just love when a director works in genre. Yeah. Um, uh, um, Widows. Oh. Directed by <laughs> Steve McQueen. Steve McQueen, yeah. yeah. 
I'm sorry, I'm blanking on names today. One of the great filmmakers working today. Yeah, but I love when Steve McQueen just said, I'm going to make a heist movie. Yeah. Like, I made 12 Years a Slave, I got my Oscar, now I'm just going to work in genre. Yeah. And I think the same thing happened here. Uh, It's just great to show versatility like this. But this movie has, it's not that it has nothing to say. I mean, certainly towards the end when all the hostages are let out and they're saying, don't shoot, don't shoot, and the cops shoot anyway and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. It has a little bit to say about the nature of uh, law enforcement. Has that scene with the kid playing the video game too? Yeah, yeah, exactly. The gory scene like gangsters. Uh, I'm going to have to talk to your parent about this video game. (laughs) I love that little touch. Yeah. So you're right. It does have some stuff to say. Yeah. It's just a charming, like really, really fun and entertaining movie with just enough substance to work. Yeah. I, I, I'm a huge fan of this one. Yeah. Okay. We're done. We're done? Well, we're not quite done. Well. Uh, so. I say we nominate or we induct all of them. Otherwise, we're going to get called racists. How about that? <laughs> I think it's too late for that. Yeah. <laughs> it's too late for that. Uh, well... Okay, so do the right thing is the obvious answer. Yeah, it's not even, I don't think it's even close. I mean, what are you, you considering 25th hour? I think 25th hour is the interesting answer. That's all. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. We inducted Zelig. Yeah, what do you, I don't really care that much. I mean, if you wanted to do 25th hour, it's a question of do you really want to do that to do the right thing? Well, we haven't done the year 1989 yet. No, we haven't. And Do the Right Thing is obviously the front runner for 1989. That's my only other question. What are the options? Because you never know. Let's look at it. Yeah. I don't like, I don't want another like fight club incident. Uh, You got, let's see. Roadhouse. Oh. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. There it is. Dead Poet Society. <laughs> when Harry Met Sally. Ooh, well. Major League. Steel Magnolias. Uncle Buck, say anything. There's an argument to be had, I would say, for when Harry met Sally. There is not. Yeah, there, there is. Well, come on now. Yeah, yeah. some argument. <laughs> I don't think it's as quite as good. But uh, Oh, I guess Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, that would be the only thing close, right? I think it, No, I think it's that and when Harry met Sally. <laughs> yeah, okay. So do the right thing is definitely getting it in 1989. Oh, so you so, right? So so uh, why not double dip? You know what I mean? <laughs> Make sure Spike gets in twice. Yeah, I'm fine. With it. I don't care. That's I mean, what I what would you put if it were not do the right thing? Because I agree with you that is the obvious choice. Yeah, it's probably. I mean, <laughs> well, if it wasn't that, it'd probably be Malcolm X. But we did not nominate. Good point, Malcolm X. Yeah, that's the problem. Yeah. So I don't know how all you Spike fans, Jabril, are gonna uh, <laughs> think about this, but uh, yeah, we would. Sp- Jabril's already mad that we didn't induct Malcolm X. <laughs> Take that. Jabril. He's already mad. It's a big fu, really, is what it is for making us watch Capone. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! What I, would you do? I mean, no, I'm serious. If, if if Malcolm X was on here, I would probably say that's the de facto answer. Uh-huh. But you're right. Like 25th Hour is a much cooler pick. You know? Are you okay with it? Okay. Yeah. So I would like to say it's a little, it is weird when we're looking at this and being like, <laughs> we're not doing do the right thing. Really? What? <laughs> also in the, what? in the era of black lives matter, we are inducting the one Spike Lee movie I, that stars white people. I was just about to say that too. <laughs> it's a little, it's touchy. Nico. You know what? You're right. You're taking a risk. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I, I can't deal with the, the mentions this week. <laughs> I can't, I can't deal with the ads, dude. <laughs> I, no, I, no, no, we're not. You know what? No, 
<laughs> Congratulations, do the right thing. <laughs> Our Discord's gonna get really mad at us. No, <laughs> Yeah, no, we can't. We can't. We yeah. can't pick the one movie starring white people. We can't do it. I know. Not this week. No, I was. I was like, it's tough, man. Not this week. It's tough. It's tough. And you know, that, sometimes it's all about timing. Yeah, it's. It would. There are many things that could go wrong if we didn't. It was. <laughs> it was not twenty fifth hours time. It's not its fault. No, no, it's a great it's movie. A who, who? Where would it fit in? Movies about hanging out with people. Yeah, I don't think we're ever going to get a chance. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, probably not. And I adore that movie, dude. I adore it. Is there an argument that it's the best Edward Norton film? Like where he is the star? I think it's better than American History X. It's not better than Fight Club. No, that's true. Brad Pitt, though? I mean, yeah, I guess you're right. It's true. No, he's the star. He's the main character. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Best Ed Norton movie. Yeah, that's a real question. I mean, I, well, oh, that's a... What do I like more? I guess I'd like Fight Club more, but it's not, not the, you know, that decisive. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Right, well, next week, uh, get your HBO Max subscriptions up and running because we are talking Studio Ghibli. Yeah. And the world of Hayao Miyazaki. It's about time. Yeah. I'm going to watch lots of anime this week. I got to watch a few too, though. You want to do the notes next week? The, uh, no, I, I'm, I'm just as bare about that as you. Trust me. We're doing anime, kid. Come on. Wait, you, you're, you're scared of what you'll find? I am. Oh, my God. I'm afraid what I'm going to learn about myself this week. Oh, calm down. It's <laughs> hi, hi, if, you're supposed to like Hayao Miyazaki. If you don't like I'm, hi, I'm afraid I'm going to love it too much. You might. I'm afraid like I'm just going to open up a... You might. It's okay. I mean... <laughs> a, a whole thing. It's Hayao Miyazaki. Like, if, if you don't like him, you don't have a heart. It's just a fact. You are dead. Your you nominees, like Spirited Away, My Neighbor Totoro, Howl's Moving Castle, Princess Mononoke, and The Wind Rises. Mm-hmm. I got to watch four of them. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I'm really afraid I'm going to love them too much. No, it's okay, dude. And then the following week, we're talking Bong Joon-ho. Yeah, we are. With uh, Memories of a Murder, Okja, Snowpiercer, Parasite, and The Host. We are breaking a rule. We are. Yep. That's okay. I guess, I mean, what the hell else are we going to do? Yeah. So that's that. Yep. Anything else? I think, I think we're okay. Do the right thing, everyone. Do the right thing. Please, for the love of God, do the right thing. Please. Yeah. And on your next podcast, do the right thing and induct the 25th hour. Yeah, it's just 25th hour. It's not the 25th I know. hour. I always see that. I always fuck that up. Whatever. Anyway. Until next time. Shit. Okay, sidebar. <laughs> that character, that guy, is in The Wire. Really? He's in that actor, Isaiah Whitlock Jr., I think his name is, is in The Wire. Yeah. And in The Wire, he does the same his thing. catchphrase is, Shit. Shit. Incredible. 